Reading from 2 Timothy, the first chapter and the first three verses of chapter 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers, night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. This thou knowest, that all which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Nisiphorus, for he has oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he find, might find mercy in the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, enduring hardness, is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. I would like to recap some from last Sunday's message and also to expand on a few points for clarification before we move on to the remainder of the text. In verse 13, chapter 1, 2 Timothy, Paul charged Timothy to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's foundational charge to Timothy, his son in the faith. He expands on that charge in verse 14 and the first three verses of chapter 2. And that is our text today as it was last Sunday. 
So this is part two. These are sober words, this charge to Timothy. And they are set in the context of the hard work and hardship of church planning and the training of leaders of the church. But throughout this letter to Timothy, Paul uses the analogy of being in a war. And it's more than an analogy. We are in a war. I want to say up front at this point to us all, but especially our sisters in Christ, because of the context, because of this text and the whole context of the letter being church planning and church leaders, training of church leaders. Do not think that because you are not called in the function of a leader in the church that it doesn't matter so much whether you are fully engaged in the war. It does matter whether you or not, whether or not you are fully engaged in the war. And it does matter whether or not you are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We will speak more of this general subject later. But I want you to know it matters to God And it impacts not only you, but also the rest of the body, whether you are fully engaged in the war. Every one of us needs to recognize what we're up against. Paul says in the the Ephesian letter about putting on the full armor of God, because there are principalities and powers arrayed against God, and if we stand with him, they are arrayed against us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We should not fear, but we should not be lax and and taking it easy. We need to be alert. Not all of us will be leaders or church planners, but all of us should go on to maturity as faithful men and women, servants of Christ. In this letter to Timothy... There are other specific charges, such as the well-known charge in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Most familiar probably because of the simple exclamation, preach the word. These charges, and this one, are set in the context, though, of this overall charge in the first chapter and the first few verses of the second chapter. That is the context, really, of the whole letter. But I want to look then at that specific charge, preach the word, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. I want us to consider, in light of the text today, We touched upon this last week, but I want to focus further on it and and help us to see that there is, on either side of that verse, it's like a sandwich, as it were. The meat in a sandwich is preach the word. But in fact, in this case, (laughs) the bread is very important. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. And think in terms of holding fast the pattern of sound words. He's talking about the pattern now. And you see that it's more than just the doctrine. 
But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. And then look at verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Note that he's not just referring, you see in the context, he's not just referring to preaching messages that he's heard. Not just. But he has, Timothy, has been with Paul in training and seeing, hearing not only the message, the word of God, the living and active word of God, but also the manner of life of Paul as he is ministering that word, seeing how it applies to all life situations. He's observed his manner of life, which is and must be in keeping with the message. Otherwise, we're just spouting words. If it has no effect on our lives, and our lives are not uh, disciplined to walk out the implications of the word. And in Paul's case, he speaks often of sacrificing, foregoing his liberties in order to make the message more available that he might, by all means, save some. He says in one place. Following, in in chapter 4, in verse 5, he sums up after saying, preach the word and, and speaks of the time coming where people will not be interested. They want to hear things that please them. Speaks of them seeking out teachers to scratch their ears with pleasing words. But, he says to Timothy, but you. Same, same way he began in verse 14 and verse 10. But you. But you be watchful in all things. All things, not just one thing. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. He spoke of afflictions that came in verse uh, 10 and 11 in chapter 3. Endure afflictions. Do the work of of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so throughout this particular snapshot text there from verse uh, chapter 3 verse 10 to chapter 4 verse 5, that's the context in which sits the charge, preach the word. Through this text, along with the whole letter, The Holy Spirit reveals to us then that our manner of life and purpose, our faith and love, you recognize that? The faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That's a strong element of the pattern he's referring to, about hold fast, the the pattern of sound words. Our faith and love, our long-suffering and perseverance, as well as persecutions and afflictions that come as a result. If we are walking this way, they will come. If they're not coming, find out why. All of these, matter of life and purpose, faith and love, long-suffering and perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, all of these are integral to the proclamation and teaching of his word. And thus also integral to the training of leaders. This is the pattern in what we've just seen. Not 
a cookie-cutter approach or a step-by-step procedure. That's not what the Scripture means by pattern. But it is a progression of personal training, taking in all of life. In a sense, something that Steve said earlier this morning, God is in heaven. We are here on earth. Why are we here on earth? We need to ask ourselves that often. Remind ourselves that we're here for a purpose. It should be the only purpose. He, he is sanctifying us. That's a progressive work in our lives. But recognize that that's what he's after. And that he, would, he calls us to have no other purpose than his purpose for us here. And that's why we see in life of Jesus, the apostles, and this picture right here of Paul speaking to Timothy, that it takes in everything. Be watchful in all things. Not just the spoken word. Consider how Jesus trained his disciples. They were with him all the time. He taught them, not only together with large crowds, when he would speak messages. For example, we were studying just a short while ago, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Fairly lengthy address, not too much, too long, but packed. He spoke that to his disciples, but also with a crowd gathered around. But he also spoke to them, he taught them as a small band of disciples, and individually as he arose. Sometimes a disciple would come to him with a question. You know, we, we have the phrase, a teaching moment. He also let them observe close up his relationship with the Father. Jesus, our perfect example, did not hide that. He did not hide it. He did not hide the value of it the importance of it in his life and ministry. And so as they began to hunger for that same relationship, it was an occasion for him to teach them to pray. At some point, to my thinking, I think if we looked at some of the, some of the examples of the, uh, the various levels of maturity or immaturity in the disciples throughout the time up to the cross... We might be wondering about this, but in fact, he gave them a measure of power, seemingly unprepared to handle it, and gave them opportunity to begin to walk in ministry and bear some of the load. Even before they were fully endued with power at Pentecost. I'm not making a case for that. I'm just pointing it out. This is, this is what happened. And it may tell us something about the importance that Jesus considered of this aspect of whole life training. The centerpiece of our training will always be, must be, the living and active Word of God. There is no other foundation. But this training, this pattern of sound words, the pattern of passing on sound words. It's not just a matter of 
listening to lectures. But the impartation of the words of life by the Holy Spirit in the midst of life training. And that training involved the heart as well as the mind, included progressive engagement in the work of the ministry with loving oversight. And the pattern of sound words Paul followed in the training of Timothy is consistent with Jesus' training of his disciples. The things Paul said in verse 10 of chapter 3, that Timothy has carefully followed his doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. These things Timothy learned in the environment of being trained as he was serving and planting churches together with Paul. We see this in Acts 16, 17 and 18. Acts 16 is when Paul first saw Timothy and wanted wanted him to come with him. So Timothy was there with Paul as he went through all the cities where he had previously planted churches. He was there in Philippi when Paul and Silas were beaten. He was there in Thessalonica when they were sent away under cover of darkness. He was there in Berea and saw the difference in receptivity and responsible hearing of the message of the gospel. Unlike Timothy, who grew up as a child knowing the Holy Scriptures, his mother and grandmother were believers and it obviously had a great impact on his life. But these believers in Berea that came to be believers know nothing. First time they've heard. He saw firsthand the Holy Spirit speak to the life of an individual, bring them from darkness to life. He saw the action of the faith that they put in Christ. These are These are life lessons that are indispensable. God calls many people from many walks of life, many nations, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We need to value greatly, not just our own experience with God, the way we come to salvation, the way we grow, but but see that the common element is the Holy Spirit at work. This was a necessary thing for Timothy to see. Timothy was also there in Corinth when they rejected them in the synagogue, synagogue leaders. But then they proceeded to plant a church there. They were there for a year and a half. Later, Paul said to the Philippians about Timothy, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that is a son with his father. He served with me in the gospel. How hard it must have been for Paul to say that. Wonderful that he could say that about Timothy, but awful that he could not say it about anyone else.
speaks of God's work in Timothy, but I believe it also speaks something about the pattern of sound words that Paul is speaking of in 2 Timothy. The effect of it, the thoroughness of the work in our lives. As Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That was what Paul was after. Uh, But he wasn't after Timothy being like him, except only in the sense that Paul was like Christ. This pattern of both instruction and experience in the midst of ongoing ministry is the same pattern Paul is here in 2 Timothy charging Timothy to follow as he looks to train faithful men to fulfill their ongoing work of ministry. Timothy will later need to charge those men to hold fast to the pattern of sound words which they heard from him as they train other faithful men. The scriptures charge us today to hold fast to the same pattern that we see practiced by Jesus, the apostles, and those that follow This this text and this charge to Timothy, it's it's pointedly and directly applicable to the elders of the church. It's the most challenging aspect of this message, preparation of it, I can tell you. The elders are, they do bear the responsibility of ongoing teaching and training. However, we need to note that when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he was speaking to the whole church at Corinth. And he had just given, it was an example, specific situation he was dealing with. And concluding that, maybe we'll just read those last few verses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, leading up to uh, the verse 1 of chapter 11. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's the whole thought. Isn't it odd that words that, when isolated, we would be shocked to think Paul is talking about being a man pleaser? You know, we would use that term. He's talking about pleasing all men in all things. But you know, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living in such a way, and in fact, imitating Christ, because that's how Christ lived. Philippians 2. He laid aside splendor of heaven and came to earth to do the Father's will. He was all things that we desperately needed to us. Savior, Redeemer, Example, Forerunner. Think of some of the wonderful names of God given in 
in prophecies in Isaiah that we've been reading and memorizing, and just throughout the scriptures. Jesus did not please himself. He pleased the Father. It was the Father's will to crush him in that way. And Paul is saying, that's how I'm laying down my life. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is an integral part, the the humility of Christ, taking on the mind of Christ, an integral part to the training. And that training, the, the same elements of it, the same purpose of it, needs to be followed in our homes as we train our children. We're quite familiar with the words of Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. We see the pattern of continual instruction and training in this Deuteronomy passage. But as believers today, we must also be diligent to follow the fuller New Testament instruction to follow this pattern. With the addition of this phrase and all that it means, doing that, obeying that, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is not just stepping along on the basis of the letter of the law. This must be done in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, you know what the outcome will be? More Pharisees. And we just heard not too long ago in Matthew chapter 5 how our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Brothers and sisters, do not forget that our instruction of our children must be in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That's not just talking about faith, talking about love, talking about Christ, but our lives. This is the example, is it not, that we've just been looking at? Is we cannot impart what we do not have. We cannot demonstrate how to walk what we are not walking in. This is what I'm talking about. This is what the scriptures are talking about. Holding fast the pattern of sound words is what you do with the sound words. It's included the manner of life that results, the pursuit of righteousness, faith, and love. So, what we are to hold fast to, both from specific exhortation in Scripture and from examples in the lives of the apostles, in the Gospels and Acts, this is the pattern. So today, in the remainder of the text, We will find out how we are to hold fast and how we are to recognize and teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How are we to hold fast? Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Keep by the Holy Spirit. We hide God's word in our hearts. 
we use that expression, the scripture uses that expression. But not think by that rote memorization is what is talked about here. It has to be the active work of the Holy Spirit, us cooperating with him, following his lead. It's those that are led by the Spirit of God that are sons of God. The Holy Spirit is the only adequate power and the only acceptable source. Our own strength, our own flesh is unacceptable. In fact, the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. In John 16, verse 13, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Wasn't that Christ's acknowledgement in his own life? He did not come to do his own will, but the Father's, and he did not speak his own thoughts, but the Father's. The Holy Spirit will do the same. The Holy Spirit will lead us to walk as Jesus walked. 1 John 2, 6. As we are following him, that will be the result because that's what he does. So when Paul tells Timothy to keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in him, that good thing that was committed to him. That is the answer as to how we are to hold fast. By no other method, by no other power, by no other source. Paul says that good thing which was committed to you. We want to look at that. We look back at verse 6 in chapter 1. Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is what he's referring to. We don't have a lot of detail of what this was, when it took place. But Paul is reminding him of this time in his life, this event, and pointing to the fact that God gifted him I can only say that evidently this was something that, it was certainly something that Paul knew about. They were referring to it. Timothy understood it. And when you consider that when Paul came to Lystra and and found Timothy, it was well spoken of by the brethren, Acts 16. There was something he saw there. Evidently he saw the hand of God upon him in in a rough form but seeing that the Holy Spirit had a purpose for his life. And he wanted him to come with him, to train him. So Paul is referring to that God put his hand upon him, gave him a gift to be able to minister by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, keep what has been committed to you by the Spirit. Remember the verse in Galatians? Galatians were 
having begun in the Spirit, we're straying from that foundation, not continuing in it. And Paul exclaimed, have, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh, by the flesh? No. Paul is saying, you must keep on. What has been committed to you, and that you will eventually be needing to commit to other men, you must keep that by the Holy Spirit. What about you? What about each one of us? Has God laid his hand upon you? We're not saying necessarily that you would have the same gift and, and calling as Timothy here. But has he not given gifts to everyone for the benefit of the body? Matthew seven eleven, which we spoke on a few weeks back, spoke of how if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? And Luke says the same thing, basically only we'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The good gift, capital G. It's actually the good spirit. So this is, when Paul says it's a good thing, it's not simply this general term. Speaking of the Holy Spirit given to him and, and the specific gifting that, that the Spirit gave him to be able to minister. And so then he says in another place, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14 to 16. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Notice that he says, give yourself entirely to them. No other purpose he is to have on earth other than to fulfill the calling that God has given him. Have we slipped into a different pattern in our day, in our culture, in, our, in, in the church at large, but in this church specifically? We're to know Satan's schemes. He will always be wanting to pull us off the mark. We're to be on the alert. Have we, having begun life in Christ, having begun in the Spirit, are we now living sometimes as if we are going to be perfected by the flesh? Be alert, brothers and sisters. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. You see Paul very specifically speaking of not just word only. It's not just human words spoken by the human mouth. It's the word of God, but spoken by the Spirit with power. 
And he says, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Why would he say that? After just talking about speaking the word and the power of the spirit behind it. Why is he then kind of drawing attention to himself? I, I speak not as the scriptures would intend, but I'm just drawing you in here. Why would he say, what kind of, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake? Because it matters. It matters that the power of the gospel has transformed our lives and that those that are speaking it are speaking and you're able then to hear according to the pattern of sound words that includes a changed life as a result. Ongoing, yes, again, we're, we're being sanctified, we're being saved in this, in this life. There is salvation by faith through grace, that not of ourselves, not of works, as any man should boast. But then there is the ongoing sanctification, and there will be a final glorification. So, yes, we acknowledge that, but let's not use that as something to hide behind, because the, the pattern here is a changed life. as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so then this gives meaning when, when he says in chapter three, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 again, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Again, that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, or, or chapter 1, verse 5, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake knowing from whom you have learned them. That's part of the pattern. As elders, we must be these kind of men, keeping by the Holy Spirit what God has committed to us, and ministering, not just in word only, but also in the power of the Spirit. Should that not be how we Raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Well, being the same kind of men and women, keeping by the Holy Spirit what God has committed to us, and ministering, not just in word only, but in the power of the Spirit? Or do we somehow think that... Understand, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the power of the Word of God, but if the Word of God itself has put forth this pattern... And yet, if all we do is just open and read without endeavoring to walk in heart and life, because that, that must be part of the message. It makes a difference in the outcome. It made a difference in the outcome of Timothy. Paul later, sadly, spoke to the Philippians. This, Philippians is one of his last letters to the churches. 2 Timothy was his last letter to Timothy. So Philippians was late in the game as well. And at that point, he had seen the, the, the diminishing, perhaps, of some of the zeal of some of the other workers. Only Timothy. It makes a difference. 
That's why Paul is so strongly exhorting, charging Timothy to hold fast to the same pattern that he has experienced. He, Timothy, has experienced in being with Paul and seeing that the message is not just word, but power. Power in, it certainly was the display of power in terms of the proclamation of the gospel to, to, uh, to, uh, to make it uh, clear that this was the power of God, that it wasn't just some new teaching. And, and so there were miracles and so forth. Yes, there was displays of power that way, but it was more than that. It was power in the lives in the life of Paul, a changed person, made like Christ, to the point where he would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Should we not be able to say that? Should it not be a burning desire that drives us forward? And so we come to the Chapter 2, those first few verses in chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore. You therefore, in light of this charge, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the next few verses, which we'll, we'll have something to say in a short while, he expounds a little bit on that. But note the connection of verse 3 to verse 2. And so we consider now faithful men. What about faithfulness? What does the scriptures teach us on faithfulness? Jesus had a lot to say about this in the Gospels. I believe it will be familiar as we touch on it. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but remember that he taught about faithfulness in small things. In Luke 16, verse 10, I'll read 10 through 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust... In what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? I think it would be helpful to to consider Timothy's life in light of that one right there. Paul saw something. Could it not be said among the things that we might say about Timothy, that his his standout life, walk with Christ, he was faithful in small things. He had come to have a good name among the brothers there. Not only in that city, but in a neighboring city. And yet, he began as a child. He was a young man still at this time. We're also to be faithful as a steward. And that was mentioned in this Luke 16, 10 to 12, that speaking of 
If you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? If you have not been faithful as a steward of someone else's that they've granted you. And isn't that the case with all of us? We don't truly own anything. Not ourselves, not our possessions in this life. They're stewardship. And if God gives us a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and then give specific gifts to minister in the body of Christ, is that ours or is that His? We must be stewards of that. There's another aspect of faithfulness. Faithfulness while no one is watching. Luke 12, verse 37 and 38. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Faithfulness. Always. Faithful. Not hit and miss. When Paul said to Timothy, preach the word, he immediately followed it up with in season and out of season. Being ready. But the faithfulness while no one is watching, that is the that is really a make or break thing. If we boot the ball when no one's watching. Take it easy. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. You know, things that we know the Lord has commanded and, and is drawing us to. And we just kind of, uh, sometimes, yes, sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I don't. That's not faithfulness. And, and how will God be able to give us true riches? How will he be able to, as he did with Timothy? Timothy was already faithful in little things. And it was after that, when Paul recognized and and brought him along, it was after that. We don't know the the precision of that timing, but it was after that that there was gifting upon him by Paul's hands, acknowledged by the elders there. We must be faithful in little things and faithful while no one is watching in order to be a faithful man who then, a Timothy, would be able to recognize the hand of God is upon us. This is how God's work in terms of leadership is carried on, but it's the same principle in the homes. So this applies not just to the adults. This applies to the children. Has God laid his hand upon you? Are you practicing faithfulness in small things, in particular while no one is watching? We will all have struggles, but what is your practice? Are you diligent? And if you stumble, 
Is it no big deal? Or is there the tender heart drawn by the Spirit to humble yourself, confess your faults? Is when we walk in the light with one another, not hiding, confessing our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins in Christ, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. God is always faithful. To do that, he is faithful in everything he does. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. And God the Holy Spirit in us, and present in particular with, if he gives us a particular gift in order to minister the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit will always be faithful in that. We must be faithful as a steward of that gift. It is then that we will we'll experience the, 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 the natural, but not speaking the natural realm, but the normal, maybe I should say, spiritual uh, progression of growth in the body of Christ. In verse 3 of chapter 2, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This one in particular, I I just thought of how in our day, uh, just to be blunt, we have become soft. Now there there may be a few with with a a, a job that takes some some, uh, effort, some muscle, but in general... Many of us are, have soft jobs and we become easily become soft if we're not in constant training by the Holy Spirit responding to him. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speaking of two things. One, you know, soft, but there's spiritually. I, I'm a software engineer. So, it's not a good start, is it? It's tough work typing on that keyboard. Uh, Just speaking of the elders here, we'll just embarrass ourselves. uh, Bear with me. Kevin, I I, I just characterize him here, uh, caricature, as just, just on the phone all the time, telling other people what to do. Steve, he just runs around on a basketball court playing with kids half his age. I wanted to say that for a long time. (laughs) But in fact, this takes the most discipline and and, uh, conditioning. May God help us, regardless of our, our work, our livelihood, to be hardened. Remember Paul's testimony? Buffet his body and make it his slave. Not going to give any opportunity for getting soft. And he said even, lest after preaching to others, that he himself would be disqualified. Disqualified for what? 
the reward of a faithful steward of the gift of God upon him. And regardless of how big or small you imagine the gift of God is upon you, it is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is resident in your life, dwelling in you, then you need to keep what's committed to you. I exhort you to have the same attitude that Paul expressed in the latter part of verse 12 in chapter 1. I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He, is, he was living, taking the commit, what God had committed to him and <laughs> committing it back to him with, and, and living a life of incredible hardship and then taking more on himself in terms of buffeting his body to make sure do you, do you hear and feel the palpable zeal, fervent in spirit, diligent? And that's what God has called for every one of us, to steward the gift that he's given us. And he says to Timothy, be an example. Look at verse 4, 5, and 6 in chapter 2, please. Please turn to it and just look at what's said here. Paul says three things. And then comments in verse 7, taking them together. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So in rapid succession, he puts out three things to consider. And then says, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. On down in verse 10 of that chapter 2, Paul says of himself, speaks of his own example. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is in response to his calling. That's what his calling is. And so he is wholeheartedly in it and ready to endure all things. He follows that with verses 11 and 12 and 13. This is a faithful saying. It's kind of like a, just a short creed, something to remember. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. But note, verse 12, there is no reward for being lazy. That's why in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says to Timothy, stir up the gift of God within you. There's no place for holding back, laying back. nor cutting corners. In verse 5 of chapter 2, we were just looking at this, if, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So in verse 6 of that chapter 2, it speaks of the hardworking farmer. I, I should mention this, that at first glance, maybe you, you might think in terms of the the uh, admonition and the reminder that 
you know, do not muzzle an ox while he's treading the grain. It's, it's there, but there's actually a different emphasis here. The emphasis on the hard work. Not just the farmer, not just the one who tills the ground, but the hardworking, the one who toils at it. The, the, the Greek bears that out. He is the one that gets the crops and gets the reward. So, no laziness, no cutting corners, compete according to the rules. He uses that example. Or being self-serving or distracted. Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So, in that short section of verses 11 through 13, when it ends with, if we are faithless, he is faithful. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. Regardless of whether we are faithful, he will build his church. Our faithlessness, our failure to walk as we ought, will not keep the Lord from building his church. But it will keep us from reward. He is building a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That church he's building is built on a solid foundation, isn't it? He himself, Christ, the cornerstone, the apostles, built on that. Look over in verse 19. We're just going to skip on through this chapter 2 because there's, there's much here for us. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Whether or not you are faithless, he is faithful, and he will finish what he's begun. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The issue is not whether you think you know Jesus, but whether he knows you. You remember Matthew, verse 22 and 23. We just covered that. Lord, Lord, did we not do many miracles, cast out demons, prophesy in your name? I never knew you. The issue is not what we do. The issue is, are we His? The Lord knows those who are His. Does He know you? And, verse 19, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Question. Do you name the name of Christ but continue on in iniquity? Lawlessness? Obedience to Christ? Is it is it a big deal or a small deal? So in verse 20, this is the result of these considerations. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Speaking of the materials of the vessel likening that to honor or dishonor. I think we can make the connection in terms of gold and silver, precious stones or wood, hay and stubble. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 3 and read. I'm going to read the full passage here of verse, uh, verse 10 through 18. Paul speaking of his own building 
and challenging as the readers of this letter to consider their own lives. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved if Christ Jesus knows you. He will be saved, yet those through fire. What a waste to receive a gift of God as a stewardship and waste it by careless building with, with impure, dishonorable, using the words of Second Timothy, dishonorable materials. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You hear the words of Second of Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Keep by the Spirit who dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems wise to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So, to summarize, bring out some some things that this passage would teach. Listen carefully. We don't confuse an issue here that I'm talking about. You have a choice. There are some things you have a choice in. You have a choice, according to this, in what materials with which you build your life. There's a foundation. You, You can't affect that. You can't change that. It's the foundation, but how are you building on it? What manner of life and purpose? Is there faith and love which is in Christ Jesus? Perseverance and long-suffering, endurance through, through trials. You have a choice as to the materials with which you build your life. And you have a choice as to whether you will be a vessel of honor or dishonor in the Lord's great house. That's what this verse 20 in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy has just told us. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, verse 21, following, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. But note, you do not have a choice as to which honorable vessel you will be. We don't pick and choose. God gives gifts as he wills. They are a stewardship to you. How are you building with them? With honorable materials? 
with recognizing the wonderful privilege he has given to go after with, with zeal and a pure heart. Just, just a, an analogy here. If you imagine, if we, if we could, uh, if we thought that we could become a vessel that we'd like, you know, maybe, maybe us guys would like to think in terms of being a strong water pot. Maybe one of those water pots like Jesus uh, you know, turned the water into wine. They're, they're, typically these are seen as rather large pots that are in the house. Just imagine, we could. Everyone would comment on the, the great quality of the vessel and the quality of the new wine pouring forth. Tall, strong water pot. Or maybe for the ladies, maybe we think, I'd like to be a dainty little water pitcher. Maybe some buttercups and daisies on a pastel background. Everyone comments on the pretty vessel and the sweet, cool water pouring forth. No. God gifts and places us in the body as he wills. You do not have a choice as to which honorable vessel, but you do have a choice as to whether you will be a vessel of honor. And if not a vessel of honor, dear brethren, there is not a third choice. And so I must warn you, Neither do you have a choice as to which dishonorable vessel you will be. I leave it to you to consider the testimony of Scripture of those who were dishonorable vessels, who did not take care of the things of the Spirit in their lives and became castaways. Paul speaks in places of shipwrecked faith, carelessness, poor stewards, not keeping by the Spirit that which was given by the Spirit. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful, faithful to himself first. He will build his church, a church that will storm the gates of hell and prevail. But not with knives or swords, guns or bombs. We are in a spiritual battle. We have spiritual armor. And our only weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Revelation 12, 11 tells us the way of overcoming. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So we're studying, we're, we're looking at Timothy's life and Paul's letter to them. But what about you and me in regard to the Lord being faithful? But with what materials are we building? What kind of vessel will we be in his great house? Are we following his example? Jesus' example. We see Paul referring to an athlete competing. His eyes on the goal, the reward. Jesus lived that way. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2.
Are we living that way? Are we faithful? The real issue is, does the Lord regard us as faithful? In chapter, in 2 Timothy, again, chapter 2, verse 2, read it again. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to point out again then that the matter of faithfulness will, will make, is, is, is what will turn on whether the Lord will be able to entrust greater responsibility in his house. Paul has charged Timothy to commit these things that he has heard from him to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So let's consider, how is Timothy to know a faithful man when he sees him? which is connected to our consideration here today. How are we to recognize faithful men who will be able to teach others also? We can learn a lot by considering how Paul recognized Timothy as a faithful man. In Acts 16, we've alluded to it before, but I want to read the verses. I want you to consider the picture of what happened here. Beginning with verse 1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. <clears throat> Not much is said about his father. In a sense, they're being very kind. They're simply stating the most basic fact but his father was a Greek. Obviously, not a believer. When Paul speaks to Timothy about his upbringing, he mentions his mother and grandmother as the ones of influence, godly influence in their lives. Whether or not his father was physically present, he was not present spiritually. So, Timothy had quite a disadvantage, did he not? And yet Paul arrives there and finds, here's this quite young man, well spoken of by the brethren who are at Lystra and Iconium. He's already made a name for himself, a reputation, but not by flamboyance, but by faithfulness. Paul recognized it. That's what Paul was looking for. Trying to do the will, the, the will of God and the work of God he was on the lookout for those who showed that God has handled someone. And faithfulness is what he would be looking at. Be faithful with what you have, not what you don't have. Timothy didn't have some things, but what he had, he was faithful in. And God continued to add. It, before Paul got there, this had already been taking place to the point where he was well known and respected, and not only his own town but a neighboring one. Paul saw then that he was prepared, that Timothy was a prepared vessel, prepared by God for greater responsibility. So on what basis do we consider someone faithful today? Think about it. What's, 
what typically, what, what criteria might we consider someone who's considered faithful? Or, you know, do, we, do we raise to a level that is different and beyond the level we see here in the pattern of sound words we're looking at in this text? Do we raise to a greater level uh, ability to speak? Honestly, hard for me to say because I lack so much in that. I know that. Nevertheless, I must say it. We tend to raise to a level that is beyond the scriptures. Dynamic personalities, those kinds of things, we tend to notice and they're They're exciting to us. So should we be poor speakers and very undynamic? And should we we try to see how bad we are, we can be? No. (laughs) No, but what is the criteria on which we base faithfulness and God's hand on somebody? If we have our own criteria that is different from the scriptures, we're going to raise up some that ought not to be and we'll miss. Maybe we miss a Timothy that turned out to be the only one and later in life, the only one Paul could fully rely on because he had been faithful all the way up to the point where now he was fully trained and like his teacher. Let us not miss someone like that because we misapply the things that matter the most. Let's, let's make sure we stick to the pattern. We, we accept that we take, on, take in, understand, and, and update our own thinking if necessary if we're out of line with the will and the word of God. Our judgment must be according to the pattern of sound words. Sound words of Jesus. So, how are these faithful men to be taught? If we can recognize them, how are they to be taught? The simple answer is according to the same pattern of sound words. In faith, and love, which are in Christ Jesus. There is a passage of Scripture that is an excellent example of this. It provides a fuller answer, and we see it playing out. Please turn to Acts 20. We'll begin in verse 17. Paul is traveling. He calls the Ephesian elders to come to him some short distance because he wants to not divert and and take more time. So he asks them to meet him. So, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Did you catch that? What manner I always lived among you. Think 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, that list. Manner of life. 
You'll see these different aspects as we move along. The first things he mentioned to them and testifying to them, the manner in which he lived among them. Now he goes on, serving the Lord with all humility, Christ-likeness, taking the mind of Christ. That's why he can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. It was in the midst of persecution and afflictions. And in the midst of that, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. Proclaimed the word of God, the sound doctrine. It was there along with a manner of life and humility that made it effective. He was able to teach. And he taught it both publicly and from house to house. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is, that is not a one-time thing. That is to characterize our lives, to continue to have faith in Christ and to live a life of when it's necessary and will it be necessary? Of course. Don't have to live too long and read too far in the Word to find out that we all stumble in many things. And there's some times when we're just devastated by when, we, when the Lord pulls back the curtains and we get a glimpse of just how desperately sinful and depraved we are. Do not think that's, okay, yeah, I repented once. Put that on a shelf. Live a life of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. He, he brought the message of the Lord to them in the midst of trials and persecutions. And here he's testifying that it's still happening, and he's actually walking right into it. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Isn't that a basic cost of discipleship? Not something that belongs only to Paul, the master builder? Those that will have victory will be those that love not their lives unto death. And Jesus called to discipleship that yes, and even your own life. I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which, which I received from the Lord Jesus. There's his constant awareness that he had received the ministry as a stewardship and he was constantly pressing on to fulfill that, keeping it, what, keeping what was committed to him by the Holy Spirit, by the work and power of the Spirit, ongoing. And to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
Quite a statement. Remember what he said previously, where he started. How he did that. You see in the letter to Timothy, he's testifying to Timothy by the command of how to do this, that he is doing that himself. Because he's asked Timothy to follow him and become like his teacher. And then he says here to the Ephesian elders, in what manner I've lived with you, serving the Lord with all humility, teaching publicly and from house to house. All this is why he can say, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And then he charges them. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Note the order, the priority. You cannot take care of someone else if you don't first take care of yourself. And we're not talking about just caring for the body. We're talking about your soul, your, your, your state of, of life in God. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Has he not said something similar to to Timothy in the second letter? He's warning him of these things to come. And then there's the Therefore, therefore, watch. Remember, said to Timothy, be watchful in all things. Stay on the alert, always. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. <laughs> That's diligence. <laughs> and he's speaking to those whom he ministered to. He's not feeding a story and, and they can't be sure of it. He's speaking the truth to them. This is how he lived among them. So now, brethren, his conclusion after all that, the, the warnings, wolves coming in, the conclusion. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This will be in the midst of trials, persecutions, afflictions, laying down your own lives, loving your life not unto the death. That may take place. It no doubt did to some of these that he's speaking to. But his confidence is in God and he is able to build us up and give us an inheritance. We should not, with, with the, the uh, possibility of persecutions and afflictions, cower in fear. Neither should we wilt because it seems like, oh, this is just too much. I, I can never be Timothy. If God gifts you as he did Timothy, then you can be Timothy. You can be whatever God has decided that you will be. You can walk in whatever gift he gives you. We're not to compare ourselves with ourselves. We're to be faithful with what he's given So we should not be discouraged because we might see ourselves as in the hole, got work to do. If we've got work to do, then let's get to it. But recognize that it is through God and the word of his grace that there is success. Trust him. He is faithful. It's when we trust him fully, then that, 
His faithfulness shows up in our lives in victory. Real victory. Paul ends the letter to the Philippians with these loving words. This is the, the, I'm sorry, the the Ephesians. These loving words. The same church, the elders of which he has just spoken this to. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That's according to the pattern of sound words in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So this text in 2 Timothy It's said in the context of the hard work and hardship of the church planting. As I said before, not not all will be church planters, but all of us should go on to maturity, becoming like Christ, our master and teacher. Our master and teacher in these essentials. A few thoughts, a few handles. The mind of Christ. Being willing to take on the mind of Christ. Loving what he loves, desiring what he desires. Walking humbly as he did. The character of Christ. Imitating and becoming like him. Not trusting in our own ability to imitate, but knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And when we yield to him, He makes us like Christ. So look, Christ, and be changed from glory to glory as you look and follow. Imitate him. The obedience of Christ. We must learn obedience by the things we suffer, including the suffering, the loss of doing our own will. In fact, that is one of the most difficult sufferings. But that's what we must do. Jesus' example is to not do his own will, to do only the Father's will. And that included the cross. And that's the last essential, the cross of Christ. We must take up our cross daily. Humbly, diligently, and fervently serving the Lord without distraction. Not entangled with the affairs of this life as a good soldier dedicated set apart for the work of the master as we attend to these essentials the mind of Christ the character of Christ the obedience of Christ the cross of Christ we will then be ready in heart and mind faithful men and women who have carefully followed the master's teaching manner of life purpose faith long-suffering, love, perseverance, and yes, persecutions and afflictions. Then with faith, faith, not wavering at the promise of God through unbelief, but strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he has promised he is able to perform. Then let us labor, labor like the hard-working farmer, knowing that in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
Let us run. Run like a disciplined athlete, competing according to the rules with our eye on the prize, knowing that if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And let us engage in warfare in the power of the Spirit and with the sword of the Spirit, having put on the armor of God, and as the scripture says, above all else, the shield of faith. Intentionally avoiding entanglement with the affairs of this life that we may please him who enlisted us as a soldier. Knowing that there is laid up for us the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to all who have loved his appearing. This second letter, letter to Timothy was a final sober charge to Timothy as Paul was looking at the end of his life shortly. And it's given in a warfare context. This message today from 2 Timothy text should not be viewed any differently for us. It is a call for us. A call to full engagement as a soldier enlisted by God in the fight of faith. A call to full and intentional disengagement from the affairs of this world if we have engaged in them. Engagements that would entangle us, squander the, the energy and the gift of God by the Spirit in our lives. Intentionally disengage from those affairs that we may please the one who has enlisted us. And as necessary, exercise ongoing repentance and faith toward God. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. O Lord, we come to you in prayer. Acknowledge our our great need of your help every step of the way. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, make this word living an active word in our souls. Cutting and laying bare with precision and purpose that we may see what you see and acknowledge your word and how it applies to us and step toward you, draw near you, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts in this way that Second Timothy letter speaks of. Humbly, not thinking that we can call the shots, but with thankful hearts that you have thrown open the doors for us to follow hard after you and become vessels of honor in your kingdom. That you may be glorified. That many souls would be won. Many souls would be strengthened to become strong, fruit-bearing in your great house. 
I pray for the grace ministered to the Holy Spirit in our, each of our lives that we may respond faithfully to this word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.